Good morning, everybody. So I am uh, actually a substitute preacher today. Um, I sincerely actually mean that. Up until a couple of days ago, we had an outside speaker, uh, Brian Wallace, who was coming to uh, share and to teach in our community today. And Brian was going to help us uh, have a little more depth and try to pull the mystery out of some of what we talked about and announced last week. Uh, if you were here last week, you'll remember that we had two primary uh, kind of announcements and um, focus to what we were talking about. The first is that our projection at the end of this year, uh, 2018, that we will be debt-free as a congregation and the excitement to celebrate that and to encourage us forward uh, as we go. And then secondly is to say that with that financial margin, we were going to continue to look and seek to look outside of our walls through the first major initiative of what we're calling the Institute for Missional Formation, talking about our own formation as people. And what we announced last week is that you could begin indicating interest uh, on our website for the month of April through a new cohort process. And this is going to be a process, uh, and it will be a process, for up to 60 people in our church to be a part of one of three cohorts, 20 people maximum in each cohort, that would involve a series of retreats and a series of uh, small groups and a series of um, spiritual disciplines. And it would take place from September to May, so it's a nine-month thing. We know that anytime we roll something out that's new, there can be some kind of mystery to it, and what does it mean, and I don't get all that. So we thought rather than just having it last week and moving away from it, we would invite Brian to come and speak. Brian is the director of cohorts at Fuller Seminary. Uh, he is the architect of the pilot program that our church went through that has given birth to this. And we invited Brian to come and to give some of the kind of biblical and theological explanation of this to try to uh, help you understand it better and to kind of try to take some of the mystery out of this whole thing of, of what it is. And it was a great idea and a great plan. Um, and, uh, but a few days ago, Brian contacted me to let me know that his community, his congregation that's actually here in Austin was going through a hard time. And I want to share that with you because we're going to take some time to pray for them today. Uh, some of you may know this, but uh, Christ Church is an Anglican church here in Austin. It meets in a, a, a different part of the city, and Brian is uh, an ordained part of that church. Uh, Brian lives here in Austin, even though he works remotely for Fuller. And their senior pastor, their, uh, in their terms, their, their rector is a, a gentleman named Cliff Warner. I've never met Cliff before, but have heard wonderful things about him. He is married to uh, a woman named Christine, and they have four children from ages 21 to 15. Uh, this week, uh, their, two of their children were running some errands, driving the car, and they ran out of gas. They pulled over on the side of the highway. They contacted their mom, uh, Christine, and she went and got some gas in a gas tank and drove to meet them. And while she was filling the tank up on the side of the road, she was actually hit by a truck and uh, is very seriously injured still. Um, we're grateful that she's made it this far. Uh, she had damage to her brain and to an artery around her heart, as well as multiple other uh, injuries. And so Cliff had asked Brian uh, to be in at Christ Church today to help give leadership in the service. And of course, uh, we agreed that that was the place that, that Brian needed to be. So we're going to pray today. Uh, and we're going to pray as we normally do for God to speak to us through Scripture. But we're also this morning going to take a few minutes to pray for Christine Warner as she continues to um, battle in the hospital, to pray for the Warner family 
And we're going to pray for Christ Church, who's meeting right now for worship as well, um, because we stand with them uh, in this time of their hurting. Okay? So let's pray together. Lord, we are reminded constantly that we are living in a world that is broken and in pain in so many different ways. We see this in Syria. We see this in chemical weapons. We see this in violence. We see this in our own city, in our own country, in our own families, in our own hearts. And so we pray in those things, and we pray specifically for the Warner family today. We pray specifically for Christine as she is battling in hospital. We pray that you would be with her and restore her to health. We pray that you would be with the doctors and the surgeons that are working with her. We pray for Cliff, her husband. We pray for their four children. We especially pray for these two that were in the car, that they would be released of any guilt or shame. And we pray, Lord, that you would be at work in their family, drawing them closer together and giving them peace in the midst of this time. We pray as well right now for Christ Church and for Brian as he is helping to lead worship in that place. We pray for that community. We lift them up in prayer and ask that you would help them know how to walk with their pastor and his family in this time. And may they know that they do not walk this journey alone. You are with them and we are with them. So Lord, as we open your word today, as we explore your text, may you continue to speak to us, broken people living in a broken world, about the hope and the life that comes from you and you alone. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, as a substitute, what I uh, thought was the right thing to do was to keep the scripture that Brian was going to preach on. And I certainly don't want to try to say what he would say, but this process of being in this cohort that has certainly shaped me in many ways, uh, I'm going to use the scripture myself and in my own experience to try to reflect what we were hoping he would do, which is talk about some of the biblical and theological underpinnings, both of this cohort process, but also generally of what we're doing as church. Because lots of times it's easy for us to just sort of uh, default into, well, we're the church, and so we have all these activities, and these are the things. There's mission, and there's discipleship, and there's all this stuff, and we just kind of keep churning it out. But sometimes in our busy world, it's good to go back and go, why do we do the things we do? What are we really trying to get at as we do this? So hopefully this is both about the cohort process that we're inviting you to consider, but also wider than that, our life as followers of Jesus. The scripture passage that we're going to be looking at is Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 14. There's these two verses. I invite you to just listen and take these words into you. He, Jesus, he went up the mountain and called to him those whom he wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles to be with him and to be sent out and to proclaim the message. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I want to start from the beginning today by acknowledging something that is a little weird, and that is that we are inviting 
you at a particular time of the year in the spring to consider making a nine-month commitment that would start next September and go through next May. And there's a certain piece of probably a lot of us that's going, this is not the time, man. Like, this is not the time to be asking this. I know that for many of us, we have been charging hard as we move through the school year. We've been charging hard at work. We've been involved in many different things. This is a busy time for many of us, uh, for our families. This is a time when we're running carpools a lot, when there's spring recitals and there's spring concerts and there's spring um, uh, sports and there are activities. The school is winding down to an end and there's all different kinds of things that are going on. Uh, I'm aware of the fact that many of us right now, if we're being honest, are just pretty excited about summer and a different rhythm of summer that's coming up because we've been going hard for quite a while. Uh, I remember last year when the school year came to an end, uh, Beth and I were sitting outside uh, talking one night as summer began, and she said, uh, I think May tried to kill me this year. (laughs) And I said, what do you mean? She goes, the month of May, I think it tried to kill me, and it almost succeeded this year. So I'm aware of the fact that as we are in this busy time of life, there's a part of us that's going, Seriously, I don't know what I'm trying to do next week. I'm trying to keep my head above water. And you're talking about retreats and small groups and everything else going on. And not just am I busy in life, but isn't this the time of the year when the church is supposed to be kind of slowing down, right? Like we've been through Advent and we've been through the new year and we've gone through our Lenten series and I joined a small group and I read the book and I tried to keep up with it. And I went to Holy Week and I attended a couple of extra services. Might even have driven to somewhere on Monday, Thursday. Didn't know what that was, but I took a chance and had communion in somebody's house. I went to one of the 18 Easter services that it felt like we did. I might even have gone to more than one. We celebrated. I even came last week, which is sort of a gimme of a Sunday, the week after Easter, and I showed up for that. And the response was, is that you are asking us to do more. You are asking us to consider more. Nine months from September through next month. Come on. Right? And I get that. I get that. I get that many of us of all the things we struggle with, we're not just sitting around moment by moment every day going, I wish I just had more to do. I just wish I had more responsibility and more things to uh, participate in because life just feels boring and, uh, and I want more. I understand what that is like. But I want to today put forward to you both for this cohorts, but generally as followers of Jesus, why it is that we are calling one another to do and to experience the opportunities in mission, the opportunities in Belize, the opportunities in Cuba, the opportunities in the city, why we participate in small groups, why we do the things we do to remind ourselves of the why. And this cohort being one process in that. In this passage, in these two verses, where Jesus first really begins to call his disciples together in Mark, there's three very quick movements that I want to lift up to you, movements that are important to get at the underpinnings of not just what we do, but why we do what we do, to encourage us and to invite us forward. The first is that we see here these beautiful words that when we think about the origins of everything Jesus done, Mark writes that Jesus called to those, those whom he wanted. I want you to stop and think about those words for a minute. These are some of the most beautiful words that you will ever hear. That Jesus called together those whom he wanted. Now, some of you might be going, well, that feels a little exclusionary. Mark's not writing it that way. He's not going, I want you and not you. What he's writing is that those who were following, those whom gathered together, that he gathered them in a desire to let them know that they were wanted, that they were desired by God. 
And you think about that for a moment, that that is the origin point of everything that they're going to experience. Every single thing that they're going to experience, all of Jesus' teachings, all of the travels that they do together, all of the interactions that they have with him, all of the things that they see him doing in terms of miracles and healing, all of the things that they see over the course of what we call Holy Week, the Passover, everything about the cross and the crucifixion and even the glory of the resurrection, that all of it starts from this moment. And this moment of origin is defined by God's desire saying to those disciples, those men and women at the time, that I am calling you because you are wanted, desired by God. The God who places the stars in the sky, the God who sets the planets in motion, desires to know you. That is, that is an amazing idea. That God doesn't want you for your rule following. God doesn't want you to come and to, to check the box of religious attendance. That God, that the origin point of everything is that you are wanted. I wonder as we sit here this morning, how many of us feel wanted in our lives? How many of us woke up this morning feeling wanted by anyone? Desired by anyone? How many of us woke up this morning much less with the idea that I am wanted by the King of Kings. I am wanted by Almighty God. Because friends, when we sit in this, when we sit in this good news, it should be something that never grows old. It should overwhelm us again and again and again that the creator of the universe wants us to know that we are desired and wanted. And that this is the origin for people of faith of where meaning and for where worth is found in life. Almost everything that you and I experience in life tells us that you and I have meaning and worth and value based on our accomplishments, based on our resumes, based on our grades, based on our salaries, based on our promotions, based on what club we can get in, based on the accomplishments of our children, based on the accomplishments of our grandchildren. That's why we advertise it on Facebook. That's why we put bumper stickers on our cars. That's why, because it makes us feel as though we are accomplishing, doing something, worth something. And God looks at the men and women in creation and looks at you and I and says, you are are just desired. Not because you're just so special. You're just so special, and I'm worth something. No. It's because God declares it to be. God declares that from the beginning and draws us and invites us so that we would know our worth and value as sons and daughters of God. So this is the first movement. It's the origin of everything that we do, of everything that Jesus does, is having that. Now the second movement, the second thing you see here, it is almost immediate. And the immediate thing that happens is, is that when we are called and wanted and desired by God, that it's not just an individual thing. It's not just you and Jesus having your little warm fuzzies together, but you are called into community. Pay attention to the pronouns that are here. It says, and he called those whom he wanted. So it's not just Thomas, it's not just Jerry, it's not just Jill, but that Thomas and Jerry and Jill and all of you are called together uh, with this kind of motley crew that Jesus also calls to him. And so how we follow Jesus and how we experience him is not just individually, but in community. And friends, this is one of the things, and we've talked about this before, but this is one of the most countercultural, revolutionary things that in our society today we have to keep going back to all the time. 
Because how you and I live today is that we live in a culture that teaches us in every way that the most important deciding thing about life is what you choose. That there is the authority and the autonomy of the individual above all else. Our society and our culture in many ways functions on that. So you can have your truth, but I have my truth. You have your values, but I have my values. You have the things you want to follow and I'll have the things that I want to follow. And nobody can tell me what I'm going to do with my life. No one can tell me what my values are supposed to be because it's me and it's my spirituality and it's my life and it's my choices and it's my decisions. And anyone and anything that doesn't go with what I like, I just point a finger at and say, you don't understand. Because nobody can take away my sense of self. The sense of I and me are the pronouns that are, have the ultimate authority in our culture today. Look how different the pronouns are in Mark. One of the things I certainly feel in my own life a lot of the time, one of the things that I experience as a pastor in conversations is people who sit there and, and say, I just don't feel very close to God. Well, friends, or, 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 I don't feel close. I don't have kind of a strong sense of community. Because we reap what we sow. And in a culture that says that the I and the me are the most important factors in life and that no one can tell you what to do, no one can control the decisions in your life, then you reap what you sow. And that means that everybody has to be kept at some level at an arm's distance because no one can invade on your territory. And sociologists tell us we're seeing that all over. Sociologists tell us that one of the emerging and the defining factors in our culture today is an increased sense of loneliness and isolation. Well, that's what happens when every decision goes, nobody can tell me what to do. Because you rob yourself of community at that point. Mark doesn't say that he just picked out people and said, I just want you and I to have these great moments, you and your spirituality and you and your Jesus. It's about saying he called those around them. And so one of the things that I have to remember and we have to remember is that when people say, I don't feel very close to God, it's like, well, pay attention to the pronouns. Because Jesus isn't a mystery where he's found. He says that where two or three are gathered in my name, that's where I am as well. So what we've said here is that we know that you have people probably to go to concerts with or to hang out with or to send text messages to of the crazy things that your kids do. You have people to go to sporting events. You have all kinds of community. And none of that is bad. But the thing that we are desiring and we are seeking to create constant on-ramps to is to who are you walking towards Jesus with? Who is carrying you towards Jesus at times? Who are you praying with? Who knows your hopes and your joys and your dreams? Who knows the things that you think God has called you to? Who's standing with you in that, encouraging you in that, and praying with you in that? And who knows the heartache and the sin and the brokenness and the selfishness that goes on in your life and can walk with you and love you and pray with you in that? That is where we're shaped and formed. It's in that kind of community. I had someone say to me uh, last week, they, said, they came up and they said, hey, I want to I encourage you in something. I was like, I can always take that. I, I, I love that, right? Most of the time when people walk up to me, it's like, hey, I want to talk to you for a minute. It's not to say I want to encourage you, right? It's because it's everybody knows how to do my job better than I do. And you probably do, right? So the thing is, is that this person came up and said, I want to encourage you uh, so much in something. And I said, well, what is that? They said, well, I got involved with a small group for the first time. And the first time I ever heard about this, I signed up for Linton Small Groups, but I heard about these for a while. I found them kind of weird in all honesty. I didn't really understand why I needed them. Uh, and so I signed up and I went into it with my, with my wife and kind of in fear and trembling. And, uh, and we started meeting and, uh, you know, because I just, I just didn't have the time for it. He said, you know, I, I, my life is spent like this. I go to bed. Uh, I get up from bed. I run 
working really hard all day. I'm trying to do stuff at work. I'm trying to like do carpools. I'm trying to be there to support my wife. I'm trying to be there at the PTA meetings and do the things as a parent. And now we're asking to do other things as that. I go to bed at night feeling really tired. And most of the time I feel pretty stressed out. And I look back on my day and I don't feel like I really did anything very well, even though I was moving hard the whole time. And I don't know what I'm exactly doing with my life and where my dreams were. And I'm trying to pay off student debt. And then I joined a small group. And all I do every afternoon when our small group is supposed to meet is try to figure out how can I get out of it because I just don't have the time to go and spend in an evening going and doing this. Um, and I said, I feel encouraged. Thank you. This is, this is really, this is great. I'm so glad. And they said, no, no, no. The thing is this, is that we've made this commitment and so we're doing this for six weeks. And so even though we've made this commitment and we sit there and go, I just don't want to go tonight. I just don't want anything more on my calendar. I just want to sit at home if possible. They said, every night when we leave, it's the one night I put my head on the pillow and go to sleep feeling more peaceful. Because I have people that have stood with me in all of those feelings that I'm admitting and feeling distant from God and loved me and prayed with me and shared with me and shared from their experiences. And I prayed for them and tried to seek them and to serve them. Jesus, not only does he desire you, he desires us, and he desires to find us when we are together. This is the second movement that we see straight from the beginning with Mark. We are desired by God, wanted by God, and that we experience God secondly as we have people to do life together with. And friends, third and finally, the final movement that we see here is that as many, immediately when these followers of Jesus come around him and follow him in community, he immediately starts calling them by a new name. He calls them apostles, ones who are sent, ones who are sent out. And this is the final thing that we see that is an inherent part of our following Jesus. The invitation that is before us is that we are not just meant to be consumers of Jesus, consumers of feeling wanted, consumers of community, but that in that we are shaped and formed in order to be sent out. That we are sent out to places where we live, work, and play, seeking to let the world know of how much God values and desires every part of creation. See, many of us can get involved with service projects, and that's not bad. Many of us can get involved with uh, charity work or doing kind of stuff out of a sense of wanting to be a nice person or political correctness. We can like to have our brand forward for our company by having a service day and taking pictures of it and putting it on our website and say, we really care about Austin too. We can do all of this kind of stuff, but that's not the motivation for why we are sent out. We're not forwarding a brand. We're not trying to place an image out there, and we're not trying to do the work of being good people that just help people who are more disadvantaged. What we are doing as people who are loved and valued by God is that we are called to go out to declare in word and deed to every corner of this creation that it is valued and loved by God as well. So we do mission work here in Austin and we participate in mission work around the world to proclaim to those who are forgotten, to those who are impoverished, to those who are poor, to uh, proclaim to those who are victims of racism or sexism, to proclaim to every corner of creation, as scripture says, to the widow and to the orphan, to all of those who feel marginalized, that they are loved and valued by God as well. And we proclaim that our systems and our governments and our societies need to live into valuing each and every person as well, because every single individual is created in the Omago Dei, the image of God. 
and therefore has worth and is loved by that God. And we seek to represent that and stand for that in everything that we do. This is an invitation to living a life of significance, to having purpose for as we go out every day in proclamation of this kingdom. And so I want you to know that we are not sitting here trying to find new ways to get you signed up for things. We're not sitting there going, oh, they're busy. I wonder how far we can push them until they crack. (laughs) We're not sitting there trying to add all of this stuff to your life because we know how busy you are. What we are seeking to be faithful in doing through these cohorts and through everything that we do here is being ambassadors of this invitation, of saying that if we want to have meaning and worth in our life, that that comes as we hear God saying that you are wanted, that you are desired. It comes as we journey together in community and experience the living presence of God in our life and people who love us and pray for us to get closer and closer to Jesus, and we get to do the same. And as we move forward into this broken world, proclaiming love and God's grace and God's truth and God's value of every corner of creation, this is an invitation to how we find worth and meaning and purpose purpose every day of our lives. Because I worry and am aware that there were many men and women who were part of this crowd who were just too busy. They just had too much going on. They had too many responsibilities. They liked the message of Jesus. They liked the idea of it. And they returned to their homes going, what a great guy. Thank goodness some people are going to maybe follow that. We're inviting you, as these disciples were invited, to take a chance in your ordinary, adulting, crazy, busy life that these are the steps we take to be a part of something extraordinary. This is the invitation of a lifetime. Amen? Amen. Amen.